Well, as we begin a new year, I want us to take a look at the priority and the purpose and the power of the Word of God. As a pastor, I am often hear people say that I long for my life to be grounded. I long for my family to be grounded. I long for my marriage and my children and my life and my career to be grounded and to be made stable. And what I want us to look at this morning is that there is only one thing that truly promises stability. There's only one thing that truly promises the hope that when you're grounded in it will offer the stability that you and I long for, and that is the very Word of God. As we begin this new year, I want us to be captured, maybe captured again, to the beauty of Scripture. And there is nothing I long for more, nothing I long for more than for us to be a people and for us to be a church that is grounded in God's Word. So let's look together at God's Word as it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. This is the Apostle Paul, the elder statesman Apostle Paul, writing to a young pastor by the name of Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, a young pastor that was struggling with direction, a young pastor that was struggling with opposition, a young pastor that was struggling in the early days of his ministry. And Paul, like a father figure, writes in this second letter to Timothy, his protege, and gives him these words of encouragement. And I pray they're words of encouragement to you this morning. Let's hear from the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And the one thing that remains the same in 2019 is that the grass withers and the flower continues to fade. But the word of God, the word of God, it stands forever. Amen. The year was 641 B.C., and the king of Judah, Ammon, had just been assassinated by his inner circle. The rebels that led this revolt were quickly rounded up, captured, and put to death. But they needed what? They needed a new king. And who did they pick? Josiah. The only problem was Josiah was only eight years old. Could you imagine putting the hands of a shattered kingdom in the hands of an eight-year-old? A kingdom that had been in decline, a kingdom that had been torn apart, a kingdom that was falling apart, and now their leader had just been assassinated, and now it is in the hands of an eight-year-old. 
This was a kingdom that had walked away from God. This is a, ki- a kingdom and a people that had neglected the word of God for years. And now they find it in the hands of an eight-year-old. Well, it took many years for Josiah to figure out what to do. But when he was 26, Josiah went to the treasury and he said, we're going to take out money and we're going to finally rebuild this temple that had been dilapidated. The people of God need a place to worship, a right place to worship. And they tore down the temple to the studs. And in the midst of the rebuilding and in the midst of the reconstruction, the high priest of Judah looks into the corner of the temple and he finds a book. It is the very word of God. And the high priest goes to the secretary of the king, goes to the secretary of Judah and says, we have found the word of God. I must bring it to him. And the secretary brings the word of God to Judah. It begins reading the word of God to Josiah. And when Josiah begins to hear the word of God, the Bible tells us that he tears his clothes out of repentance because he and his people have for so long neglected God and his word. And then Josiah does something so remarkable. He takes this word and he calls the entire nation of Judah together and he simply starts to read. He just starts to read the word of God to them. And what happens? Revival breaks out. Revival, once again, for the people of God in the kingdom of Judah. You see, the one thing that we can see, whether it be for the kingdom of Judah or for the Reformation 500 years ago, that all revivals and reformations that are lasting and sustaining all begin with one thing. It is people returning to the priority of the word of God. And what this generation must ask itself, as every generation that has gone before us must ask ourselves, that if we too, whether it be in this church core ridge or in our city or in our nation, want revival and reformation once again, will you make the word of God a priority or will you leave it on the shelf this year? Paul, writing to his protege Timothy, wants him to know, remember one thing, if there's anything you do, do not neglect the word of God. And the message remains the same for us today here at Coral Ridge. Brothers and sisters, do not neglect the word of God. So what does Paul say concerning the word of God, the Bible, to Timothy? The first thing that we see in the passage that we read is he calls Timothy to remember the priority of the word of God. It's the first thing that we see here. Remember the priority of the word of God. He says in verse 14 and the first part of verse 15, but for you continue in what you've learned and what you firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timothy, if you remember one thing, remember the priority of the word of God, which was given to you from the very beginning. What was the very beginning? Look at the first chapter, verse 5 of this letter. 
Paul tells us what happened in the beginning of Timothy's life. Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells within you. What Paul wants to remind Timothy is the priority of God's word from the very beginning. That Timothy, you grow, grew up in a home where the word of God was not put on the shelf. You grew up in a home with a grandmother and a mother who loved the word of God and taught you the word of God. And from the very beginning, explained to you the priority of the word from beginning to end for life and for living and for teaching and for how to live out the faith that you have in God. This was the legacy of Timothy. This was the legacy that was left for Timothy from Lois and from Eunice, his mother, and from his grandfather. And for some of you sitting out here in the congregation today, this is your legacy, that you grew up in a home where you heard the word of God. You grew up in a home where you learned the scriptures and the priority of the scriptures from an early age. And we're reminded once again this morning, remember the priority of the Word of God. Remember the priority of the Scriptures. And so you have the opportunity to carry on that legacy, that legacy that was given to you. But for some of you, you this is new. You didn't grow up in a home that heard the Word of God. And you're, you're a first-generation Christian that, that you're starting something new, but you have the opportunity to start a new legacy. So whether you had this growing up or you've never had it before, you either have the opportunity to make the Word of God a priority as continuing a legacy or beginning a new legacy right there in your home. And as Timothy was reminded of what had happened at an early age, we need to remember that we have an opportunity as a church to teach our children, to teach our grandchildren the priority of the Word of God. If your children were baptized here at Coral Ridge, you answered this vow in the affirmative. You said this before the people of God and before God, you said that you would unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example, that you will pray with them and teach them according to the scriptures of our holy religion that points them to Jesus Christ and his salvation. That is a vow, the solemn vow that you made before God and before God's people that you would make the word of God a priority in your home and in your family. Now you might say to yourself, well, pastor, I don't have a family. If you belong to God, yes, you do have a family. It is called the family of God. The people in this room and the people in this church and the children that go to school across the street at Westminster Academy and the kids that are running through our breezeways through Sunday school and kids worship, they are your family. We have an obligation to teach them and to give them and to deliver to them the word of God. It is the greatest aim of life. The greatest aim of life is to not get your child into Harvard. But the greatest aim of your life is to teach your kids the word of God and to love it above anything else. This is our priority and we cannot fail at that mission. The second thing that Paul gives to Timothy is for, not, for him to not only uh, 
prioritize the word of God, but he, he wants Timothy to understand the purpose of the book. What is the purpose of the book? The second half of verse 15 says, the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for what? For salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You see, when we don't understand the Word of God, see, I don't want you to come to a Bible study on Wednesday, or I don't want you to come to a Sunday school class just to make you wise. I want you to understand the purpose of this book. Paul tells Timothy that the purpose of this book that we must understand or we will twist the truth of God, the whole purpose of this book, ultimate purpose of this book from Genesis to Revelation is to point to one person and his name is Jesus Christ. Paul says the whole purpose of this book, the reason I want you to remain in it is, is, is because it's the only message that will make you wise for salvation. This is the purpose of the word of God and we must never forget forget and understand that this is the purpose of the book, to point us to Jesus, to point us to who he is and what he has done for sinners like you and me. I think it's fascinating that what does Paul do? Paul, in speaking to Timothy, the New Testament had not been created yet. So the scriptures that Paul, that Paul is referring to is what? It is only the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying is that the Old Testament tells us everything we need to know for salvation in Jesus Christ. For anyone who says that we can't learn about Jesus, that we can't learn about the truth of the gospel and of salvation from the Old Testament, Paul says all of the Old Testament, and we shouldn't be surprised because it's who? It's Jesus himself in Luke chapter 24 on the road in Emmaus says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures, speaking the Old Testament, all of the things concerning himself. From Genesis to Revelation, there's one story. It's the story of your salvation. It's the story of my salvation. This is why we call this book good news. And we need to be reminded. We need to be in it and meditating on it and memorizing it and studying it every single day because it points us to someone greater than ourselves. It points us to the very person and work of Jesus Christ. So Paul says to Timothy and ultimately says to us this morning, Coleridge, make this book a priority. Remember and understand its purpose that appoints us every page, points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ and how we are to live as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus. But lastly, the third thing that we see here from Paul to Timothy is he wants us to understand that we are called to live according to the power of this book. In verse 16, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So why? So you'd be puffed up? No. Verse 17, so that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, Paul wants Timothy and ultimately us this morning to live according to the power of the word of God because Paul says something powerful here that the power that is in the word of God is thorough and sufficient. This idea of the word of God, what? All scripture is breathed out by God. The Greek word here is theonoustos. 
This idea that when we open the Word of God, the reason Paul wants us to be reminded of the power of the Word of God is because he says it is the very what? Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Augustine said, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. The reason it has power is because it is the breathed out Word of God. It is breathed out by God. The breath of God which in Genesis 1 spoke life into creation. In Genesis 2 brought life into the life of humanity. It has the powerful ability to make you new and to make you a new creation. The reason this book has power is because it is the very word of God. Paul says in verse 16, 3,000 times in the Bible, it is recorded, the Lord says, So when the prophets and kings and shepherds and fishermen put this book together, they understood that it was the Lord speaking. And when we hold up the word of God and we hear the word of God and study the word of God, we must read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it as if it is the very word of God breathed out to us. When the word speaks, the Lord speaks. Hebrews 4.12 says what? That the word of God is living and active. It's living and active. It has power. It has power. And it has power, as it says in verse 17, to make you complete. It says that that you might be complete, equipped for every good work. The Greek there, equipped, is thoroughly equipped, which means for you and me that there is not one thing, as, as Tim Sansbury said earlier, that there is not one thing in life for us to wonder, how do we go about living in this world? There's not one question, there's not one thing, there's not one obstacle, there's not one season in which God has brought us into, in which the Word of God does not direct us how to live. It has the power to change you and transform you and direct you and guide you. It is the very word of God to you. And the ultimate way that it completes you, according to verse 17, is that it completes you by making you into the image and likeness of Christ. That you begin to look more like him and sound more like him and live more like him and act more like him and love more like him. That is what the word of God does. When we memorize it and meditate on it and study it and absorb it, we begin to look less like ourselves and more like Jesus, complete, thoroughly equipped for everything that life brings our way. Do you believe this? I know that you know that, but do you believe it? That the word of God makes you equipped and completes you for every work that God has called you to do. Ken Wackus was headmaster, my headmaster, and headmaster at our school across the street, Westminster Academy, for almost three decades. He rightly was given the honor and the title Headmaster Emeritus. It was in 2013, though, that he was diagnosed with ALS, and it was just last year that he had his homecoming to heaven as we celebrated a life well lived. But a year before he died, he often recorded a blog that many of you are familiar with. 
And it was a personal journey because he could no longer talk. It was a personal journey for those that loved Ken Wackus into his life and into his suffering with ALS. And I'll never forget one of his posts. He said this. He said, using a ventilator during the day makes my speaking almost unintelligible. My arms and legs are getting weaker, but I can still use a walker around the house. I type now with two fingers, whichever two fingers are working well that day, but it goes day by day, never two days the same. Other than that, things are great. I hardly think about having ALS. There are just some things I can't do anymore. But hey, I'm 77. But it is this. It is the scriptures I have memorized over a lifetime that soothe, give perspective, and keep me focused. At first, it was God's grace that grabbed my attention. Recently, it's been God's peace. As he promised, God has posted a guard at the, heart, at the door of my heart, and it's called peace. A word of advice. If any are negligent, sloppy, or otherwise distracted from memorizing Scripture, the time will come when you will need it big time, but then it will be too late to cram. I determined about 30 years ago not to let a day go by without memorizing new passages or reviewing already memorized text. I've also targeted chapters and then books rather than isolated verses. So how do I go to sleep every night? I go to sleep every night. But hearing and memorizing and meditating on the very word of God. This is where the power is. The power to heal. The power to save. The power to point us to how we should live. The power to give us peace under the most trying circumstances. It's why at Coral Ridge we preach one thing. And one thing alone, the word of God. It is why as long as I am pastor of this church, that on a Sunday morning you will only hear one thing, the very word of God preached to you. This and only this is where the power is. And I am asking you this morning, do you have this power? Where does this power ultimately come from? For people like you and me that live in a life and live in a world, that live in a culture that tells us to devote our things to so many things, where do we find the power to devote ourselves this morning to the very word of God? Well, John in the gospel tells us this. In John chapter one, we are told that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the person of Jesus Christ is a person that came down from heaven and that the written word, the spoken word, became the living word. And Jesus Christ, we are told, perfect in his person, perfect in his life, and perfect in his death and resurrection for us, devoted himself the living word of God to you and to me so that in return we could devote ourselves to him, the very living word of God. You see, we can't devote ourselves and to submit our lives to this word until we first devote and submit our lives to Jesus Christ. They told Soren Kierkegaard 
Last night they used the church as a dance hall. And to their surprise, he said, better to use the church on Saturday night as a dance hall than to use it on Sunday morning to make a fool out of God. And if you leave here this morning without surrendering your life to Jesus Christ, the living word, and without submitting your life to his word, the very word of God, then it's utter foolishness, the Bible says. Would you surrender your life? Would you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? This very word promises this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Today can be that day where you surrender your life to the very living word of God. But there's others in here. You've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, but you forgot one part of the life. You forgot one part of that call to Jesus Christ. You haven't submitted your life to his word for how you're to live in what's called sanctification, for how you're to live out your life now that you receive the grace of God. And so I'm not asking you this morning to surrender your life to Jesus. You might have done that 20 years ago. I'm asking you maybe for the first time to submit and surrender your life to the very word of God, which tells us how to live, which tells us how to move. Brothers and sisters, we hold in this book the very word of God. And it is my prayer that this year that you would be amazed, amazed for the first time or amazed once again to what you hold and that you would live by it and submit your life to it and be grounded by it and treasure it and love it and read it and memorize it and treasure it with all of your heart so that we as a people and we as a church might mark our lives by one thing, the very word of God. Coleridge, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. Continue in what you have firmly believed, the very word of God.